Welcome to one more episode of Connect This. No, I didn't get it right. Connect This. <laughs> Today, we're talking about GGGGG. Um, not, not the person that I hope will be the next chair of the FCC, um, but uh, 5Gs. And uh, we're going to be talking about wireless. And if we have time, I really want to get into um, what's, the what's the future of private LTE and, uh, and some other stuff around wireless. But we're going to really center the, the 5G discussion to start. Uh, I am Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance hosting this show. And today we have some special guests. We have two first-time guests, Sasha Sagan, the lead mobile analyst at PC Mag. I don't know why a Gulf city gets its own lead analyst, but uh, apparently they do down there in Alabama. Welcome to the show, Sasha. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's all the oil. It's the oil money. Well, okay, that makes sense then. <laughs> um, what, what do you spend most of your time doing? So um, I write about uh, 4G and 5G for PCMag.com. I have a weekly newsletter called Race to 5G. I run our drive test product uh, projects, which are uh, fastest mobile networks where we drive all around the US and Canada testing 4G and 5G. And uh, then of course, I also review phones and I've reviewed maybe, I think about 1500 phones over my career at this point. <laughs> Excellent. We've also got Vico. Uh, and I'm going to say Fiorezi, Senior Sales Director at Mavenir. And uh, from what I can tell, this guy lives on Twitter. Uh, I don't know why they pay him anything because he just spends his time <laughs> picking apart the things that I write. And I wanted to bring him on the show to, to do it to my face. So so welcome, Vico. Oh, man, that's a pleasure. Uh, no, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's really, it's big. I mean, it's a big chance for me to, to, to talk to you face to face. And it's like the first time we do that. Uh, and, and as, as you know, in, in general, I have this passion for rural connectivity. It doesn't matter. I mean, I, I had my experience splicing fiber in the field. Um, I, I had my experience uh, understanding the difference between geos and leos. And, um, I, and, the, and I, like Sasha, I'm a, I mean, I follow everything that's happening on the 3GPP because it is a, a huge ecosystem. And sometimes you do need a a large ecosystem if you'd like to make a big change. Well, and the, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is I feel like you ask really good questions that are, that are hard to answer. So I wanted Travis to, to help. <laughs> and speaking of Travis, we got Travis Carter back, my co-host, the lead mobile RV analyst at oh, yeah. USI yeah. Fiber. Just trying to stay connected, sir. Thanks. Um, Thanks. This will be a good one. This is a topic I know the least amount because as you know, I'm really worried about 19G. So we'll see. You know, 5G, we'll see how we'll see how that goes. But man, when 19G gets here, the fiber might be antiquated. So let's see what we learn. Um, at that point, I hope that we're just traveling around the country in RVs together, tasting buffalo wings um, mm -hmm. as our main source of, of entertainment. I'm Christopher Mitchell. I'm the senior lead of lead feet at ILSR. And um, we're gonna do a uh, our opening question to just get a, get ourselves warmed up a little bit. NTIA dropped new broadband maps today. Um, the, the general thrust of it is that this is pretty cool. It's interesting. It's brand new and different. Um, my entire exposure of it is from seeing some comments that Carl Bodie made about it, which I appreciated, but I've been 
I've been trying to do a lot of writing today and a little bit of supervising, and I haven't been able to spend any time looking at it. So let me start with you, Sasha. You suggested this really good idea as an opening question. Uh, what's the takeaway from these new maps from uh, the, the NTIA and the United States government? These maps show the digital divide in a way that we had never seen before from government maps. Uh, previous mapping was really focused on where broadband hadn't been built out on uh, where wires need to be laid down. But the new maps show where broadband exists, but people aren't using it for whatever reason, whether it's um, whether it's restrictions or landlords or affordability, by and large, it is probably affordability. You're now getting to see not just where broadband needs to be built, but where there's a digital divide in terms of broadband being there and people for some reason not being able to access it. Vika, what's your takeaway? So my takeaway, uh, very similar to, to Sasha, uh, is that first, it, it's good to finally we have at federal level uh, some uh, real data. You know that I'm a data guy. I always ask the tough questions to you because I would like to see the data, right? So uh, now uh, we, we do have some nationwide map that we can uh, contest the information from FCC, from Form 477. Uh, in the past, we had some exposure to that on state levels. I think that one of the states that developed the best uh, comparison to the FCC information was uh, Georgia. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, and the data already gave you some idea that something was wrong on the form, set for, on the form 477 data. Now, like Sasha was mentioning, these new maps are coming and they're giving us more proof points that we needed to work better on the maps. I mentioned to Sasha and to you guys, I hope that we can be more precise on the borders uh, of, the, of the information that is come from the KPIs. Uh, one of the concerns I have is that if we make it too flexible that the, every state or every county takes their, their own version of the maps for public funding, we may have some deviation of the original purpose of having those maps. Uh, but in general, I like the idea to have more information. And Sasha, you were leaning in there for a second before I, I go to Travis and get his grumpy face response. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I was going to say that uh, you said that Georgia was doing well, but I also wanted to call out that amazing drive test that they did in Vermont um, mm -hmm. a year or two ago. Uh, in terms of state level broadband mapping, I really feel like what happened in Vermont should be the best practice uh, because uh, they mapped both broadband and mobile uh, in, a, in a really like block by block ma manner, even in rural areas. It was, it was terrific. Yeah, I think that's really important. And uh, I just want to pick up on that quick. The the idea that we have maps that show where you can get um, a mobile service outside are not very helpful when you live inside in Minnesota. <laughs> That's true. It's um, true. So I've definitely been in places where uh, you can only make phone calls on mobile devices outside the home. And, uh, and so, um, Travis, uh, how did you react to these maps? Well, as you know, I've been studying these maps all day today i mean i didn't just hear about this five minutes yeah but ago. you you woke up 10 minutes ago so. yeah i mean so you know the, the my 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 really detailed in-depth analysis of this of red being bad and green being good i'm just going to throw the props out to north dakota well done 
there. Look how much green they have up there. Uh, so that, whatever North Dakota is doing, they're the leaders. Well, and I'm hurt. Very Chavez, often. I'm hurt. I've, I've written a lot about North Dakota, and actually, I'm. I'm some I of commend the, the people in North Dakota for being. It was a few years ago. We're actually good to be green. North I North think actually on North Dakota. Well, there's yeah, a there, is a, there is something common. There is something common between North Dakota and rural uh, community ISPs. I mean, I think that that is a good. I think that's yeah. where Chris would like to leverage now. Yes, exactly. I mean, um, <laughs> something like 70% of North Dakota is covered with fiber to the home through that's, telephone cooperatives. That's and that's why I think it was actually PC Mag. Um, and I've, I've struggled to find this again, but there was a point where PC Mag had rated states based on actual tests. And the fastest states in the nation, um, South Dakota was number two and North Dakota was number four. And I couldn't believe how many people were, weren't shocked by this. Um, so, uh, yeah, North Dakota is actually doing quite well. And in part, it's really fascinating because like the, the telephone co-ops really, um, they got into fiber and there's sort of a group dynamic then that they, they got into it more and more. There was a guy from Optical Solutions who really worked with them and kept um, making it easy on them, solving their problems because they had a lot of problems in the early days and things like that. And so there's a whole interesting study there, Travis. Yeah. Oh, I'd be, be, be like North Dakota. That's the new fiber mantra yeah, now. So, yeah, and that brings me to one of my tough questions that I like to raise to Chris is that uh, we, we, I mean, most of the times uh, we talk about new Muni fibers co-ops that were not doing anything before besides uh, pretty much like water distribution or it, mm -hmm. they were not involved on the, they were not neither involved on the electricity or they were neither involved on the telephone distribution. And uh, so this is one type of co-op, but then we have the electro co-ops that is um, another flavor of co-ops, but I don't see you, Chris, talking too much about the telephone co-ops. I mean, I, I, I was to ask you in Twitter before, and I'm glad that you mentioned the case of North Dakota. One of the things that I think it was Sfingyar opened up my eyes on that on Twitter was the fact that because the revenue or the flow of money is so different between mm -hmm. electrical, water distribution, gas distribution, compared to the telephone and the internet, I think that uh, the telephone co-ops actually are probably the ones that are closer to the business model, to the flow of money of a broadband service. You know, I think yes. I, mean, I just would like to, yeah. to put well, yeah, there's a couple of challenges and um, we're about to get to telecom peekaboo for those people who are really dying to get there. Don't worry. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to get there right after this. Um, the, um, the telephone co-ops cover a much smaller percentage of America than yeah. the electric co-ops. And so yeah. um, there's, that makes it a little bit um, less interesting for me to talk about uh, oh. NTCA, the rural broadband um, um, lobbying group or trade association. They do a really good job of advocating for those members. So I don't feel like I, we try to spend I our see. time at ILSR okay. on areas that are less covered. Um, oh. And so between that, and then also I'll tell you like some of those, the, whether it's the rural 
telephone co-ops or even the rural independents in Minnesota and Iowa, we've got a ton of them. I mean, like probably a lot of this, we have more than almost any other states uh, for like these local independent telephone companies and the ones that are privately owned, sometimes they're great. I mean, they're just, you can't tell them apart from a co-op in terms of how they're run. And then other ones, it's like the grandchildren of the people who found it. They live in Las Vegas and they're just trying to suck every last dollar out of it. And I just, it's hard to, to talk about them in generalities because of that, that continuum. Gotcha. So I, I talk about telephone co-ops, um, you know, a bit, and I'm, I think that they're an important player, but okay. we do spend less time on them than other things. Yeah, I was going to say, when we did our big uh, best work from home cities uh, story earlier this year, um, one of the things that pushed Bemidji up in the rankings was Paul Bunyan. Yep, Paul Bunyan. Which, yep, which is a major local telephone co-op. It's one of like the way you describe the good actors. Mm -hmm. It's it's still it's still the folks in town doing it. They have a major presence in town. But yeah, as we found, we were we surveyed I think two hundred cities and towns for this list. And once again, like for every Paul Bunyan, there were four local electric companies doing broadband. So it's just a matter of what is more common, and what's more common is electric. Mm -hmm. Well, especially because the electrics cover like 50 to 65 for 75 percent of the landmass of North America. I feel like of the United States portion of North America, not including Alaska. Um, and I feel like I keep getting hearing different stats on that, but it's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's where like, you know, five to 10 percent of the population lives, but it's a lot of land. But I, I, so I want to I want to change gears here. This is something that I've been wanting to share. I've been wondering who it is, and I'm wondering, I don't know if Travis will be able to do it, but I'm guessing Sasha might be able to tell me um, not just what this is, but oh, who I know this that is. One. Ah. Who is it? Yeah, I know that. Ah. So Sasha, go first. I mean, those look like, I mean, those look like Ericsson 600 megahertz panels to me, no? No, I don't think so. I think if it was it Ericsson, Vico might know. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so uh, it. I mean, I'm in between Ericsson and Nokia. This definitely is not the the Samsung, but this is actually millimeter wave. This is not 600. This oh, is like okay. three or four weeks, so those, three or four months old. I'd say, like maybe three yeah. months old. They, so they disappeared in my neighborhood. I think I have my sense of perspective wrong. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, no. So this, you see that this is a utility pole, Sasha. We can see that because of the of the cables here. So it's uh, a, yeah, yeah, great. That's much better. So because because it's a utility pole, I know that we are not going to put that as a. As a, as a as a low band uh, antenna panel and this now is, now as I see how big they are that yeah. changes it mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah so this is this is this is what we call uh, an uh, integrated unit so you have the radio and the antenna integrated in the same enclosure okay and pretty much what you have on the bottom are fibers that goes oh you know you see we need the fiber for 5 g Chris that's yeah. so what you see on the bottom those are fibers exactly that it goes to a, to a front hall, okay? So you don't have here the BBU or what we call in open run, uh, DU. So those are not on the pole and probably they are not even on the bottom of the pole. These are probably remotely centralized. So mm. the beauty of this baby is that you actually, you have all these millimeter wave uh, antenna radios distributed on those poles going to this front hall fiber and then uh, I would say like less than 10 kilometers from here uh, I need to use miles so like 
five or six miles from this pole, you probably, you have a central office that will behave as your centralized GUCU or the centralized BBU uh, for those antennas. And then you can coordinate this antenna with the antenna that will be like one mile from this one on the next pole. Okay, so I, I have, I mean, I, I can tell you, I have a dozens of those here in my neighborhood as well. Yeah, they're popping up all over the place here in St. Paul. They are, they are, they are, they are. Yeah, is that St. Paul? Where is that? It's St. Paul. Yeah. And, um, and I was wondering, I assumed it was T-Mobile, but I have no evidence for that just because I haven't had a sense of who else is T-Mobile millimeter here. wave, uh, T-Mobile millimeter wave in a place that is not a venue build would be a, a bold move. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't. It's it's probably Verizon. It's probably Verizon. I, I would I would okay. guess Verizon. I would guess yeah, Verizon. Yeah. Verizon has been doing a, a huge fiber yeah, build throughout the Twin Cities here, so, and so, and these so are their is, small cell. So this is what is happening here in my in my street, right? They, it's public information that they are swinging from uh, Nokia to Samsung, and uh, I had I, I I needed to post that I had one of these pictures, exactly what you did, Chris. I stopped my car. I took the picture like one year ago. And then I was driving by and now I see a new one in the same pole, right? They just swap it and it, well, it's clearly a new Samsung one. So like in a difference from one year, they installed the Nokia and then they came and they swap with the Samsung one hmm. in the same pole. Yeah, well, the Nokia equipment is that disappointing. But um, the one thing I think is really interesting and which has been confusing me recently is there have been tremendous mixed signals about the extent of future Verizon millimeter wave build out. That's um, one of the things I wanted to talk about. Yeah, so let's start there. Okay. Um, AT&T and T-Mobile have at the moment pretty consistent millimeter wave strategies, which is they're hitting venues. Um, they're finding small hotspots of places where crowds congregate, very large crowds congregate, and they're installing millimeter wave in stadiums, universities, convention centers, that sort of place. Verizon started out with this concept of citywide millimeter wave builds, um, pretty quickly realized that citywide millimeter wave builds are terrifyingly difficult and require a mind-boggling amount of equipment. Um, and then more recently, and I would love to hear what you guys have heard, there's just been two conflicting streams of conversation from Verizon in the news. Number one being, yes, we are going to continue to build out millimeter wave. We consider it a core, uh, we consider it a core function. We have all of the spectrum. This is the play for our uh, home internet product. Uh, they just built it out along all these beach towns from New Jersey all the way down to Maryland. Uh, I went down to test that last week. Um, so that is actually happening. And then at the same time, you have other people saying Verizon's pulling way back on millimeter wave in favor of C-band. It's all gonna be C-band going forward. So I don't know what to think. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I think that we need to step back and try to separate the, the flavors of 5G, right? So uh, what happens is that um, between the millimeter wave and the low band, there is something called the mid band where you just mentioned the C band, but it can be the evolution of the CBRS as well. So. Um, I, I expect that not long, not, we will not wait too long to see 
uh, CBRS five, actually five GNR deployments coming. Uh, the the what we, I, I'm not an RF expert by any means, Sasha, but what happens is that one of the problems with the standalone uh, millimeter wave is actually the uplink, okay? And then uh, when you combine a hybrid system of C-band and uh, millimeter wave, or even another type of mid-band, I'm, I'm just speaking here C-band because they got a lot, but if they combine uh, any other type of mid-band with their millimeter wave deployment, they can actually extend uh, the coverage of their um, uplink and then they potentially will be able to reduce the number of deployments of their uh, millimeter waves. So I, I, I don't see that like as a, as a big setback. I, I just, I'm, I'm just thinking that over time, they probably will learn more in terms of propagation models and the options that they can combine on millimeter wave and other bands. And then that will give them a better understanding on where they really need to put the millimeter wave or not. Okay, so and in fact, what you're describing is actually happening on the Jersey Shore right now. Some of the guys I know have found that uh, along with the millimeter wave build out is coming a CBRS build out. And the CBRS, of course, has somewhat greater radius than the millimeter wave. So you can see uh, devices fall back to CBRS as soon as you get outside the millimeter wave radius. But of course, there's that weird thing with CBRS right now where N48 kind of doesn't exist and nothing works with it. So I think they're just sitting on waiting for N48 to happen to do what you're describing. Yeah. That was what I had read recently. And I didn't, I didn't follow it super closely because I'm not as into the, the wireless space, um, especially lately with deadlines cascading around me. But I, I got a sense that Verizon was maybe waiting to like deploy a lot more all at once as it has um, access to all the spectrum that it's expecting to get soon was my takeaway for it. Well, they're definitely going to deploy a lot of uh, C-band all at once. And uh, their C-band strategy is their C-band strategy is big, aggressive, and solid. There's going to be 60 megahertz of Verizon C-band lighting up in the 46 metro areas they're permitted to light it up in. Uh, they're going to be extremely aggressive with that. They have a March launch date right now. They could do it even earlier if they're ready, but right now they're targeting March. The question that floats is basically what role does millimeter wave still play in yeah, that's a C-band dominated world? Well, that's what I was wondering. Like, I mean, those, those I have this millimeter wave radios now that are 400 feet away from my house. Um, what are those used for? Like, is that actually communicating with hand units to people that are biking by? I mean, like, like, I mean, I don't think Verizon's actually trying to sell anyone uh, home service on it. Um, well, I mean, they should be. Uh, they, Verizon. They Verizon 5G Home exists in the Twin Cities. Yeah. Well, that's the I, thing is that I don't, I mean, I would have expected that they would pop that up and then I would start getting mailers or other pieces of information. And I, so that was, I mean, my expectation was I, I see those radios here less than half a mile from me. I don't have fiber. The only thing I have is cable. Uh, I suffer with the same problems as, as you guys, I mean, on, on my uplink on Doxys. And I was hoping that I could actually use those that are half a mile from me. Uh, and when I go to the website, I still don't see uh, the promotion of that. So I, I don't know if that can be, like Sasha was mentioning, like a part of like a, a, a marketing plan, 
Okay, so like they they are waiting until they believe that they have like a sustainable network that they really understand well, that they know how to sell, and then they go to the market. So um, it's new, it's new, Chris. It's uh, it's something that they are learning every day, something new mm -hmm. about this spectrum. And um, I, I I believe that they are maybe trying to be more cautious about it. let's not do like a big blast let's go step by step and when we feel really comfortable we will we will promote that more aggressively now um i'm i'm just waiting for my time to to hang something here because uh i really would like to test and i, I for now i don't have this opportunity it's only mobile like you mentioned I, the only option i have would be to get a mobile and i try that and man when you are carrying that mobile and then your body goes in front of the device, <laughs> boom, drop. So it's, it's, it, that's the type of spectrum that we are talking about. It's a, it's a new yeah. spectrum. And there well, are the I have line of sight from my rooftop garage to the roof of my garage. And so like, it would be, yeah, I think, I feel exactly. like I could maybe get something that would avoid the trucks getting yeah. in the way of it. I mean, yeah. what yeah. you're, what you're saying, what you're saying about Verizon being more cautious now probably is true because I wouldn't be surprised if everyone was a little um, a, a, a little uh, troubled or recovering from how grotesquely overpromised uh, millimeter wave was in 2018 and 2019. <laughs> how they would show us these demos of millimeter wave going a gigabit at 3,000 feet from the site in Houston in 2018. And then that would grow these, that grew these ideas of these citywide multi-gigabit millimeter wave build-outs that just turned out to be impossible. Yeah. So this could be a once burned, twice shy situation, like how Samsung doesn't allow super fast charging on its phones because the Galaxy Note 7 exploded. Travis, do you do you do like exit surveys with uh, with a few people that disconnect from your fiber to to find out where they're going and if you're losing anyone to Verizon 5G in South Minneapolis? We are exactly zero customers we've lost to um, a cellular provider. Usually it's out of area, but you know I like Sasha's comment because 5G was the bane of our existence because every single banker that you spoke with for the last three years. We had to do a write-up after write-up of how, because they were under the impression that 5G was coming, it was going to solve this problem nationwide overnight, right? They said it at the Super Bowl. It should, it must be true. So it's, the Verizon uh, ads at the Super Bowl, I was thinking about this earlier. This is my phone, my favorite advertising things. Verizon 5G now available in some parts of oh, yeah. some cities. <laughs> yeah, not mean, very powerful. But the amount of over-promising in 2018. We have a new internet in town, but you know, we're excited. They capitalized it. Hey, and I'm using it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but I think that we need we need to we need to be careful. I mean, here we are speaking to guys that really understand that, and we need to isolate what is 5G millimeter wave from mm -hmm. 5G in mid band from 5G on low band. Okay, we need to do that, and we need to be capable of communicating that to the market. So uh, when we are talking about it. Uh, specifically about a mid-band. And unfortunately for the U.S. market, uh, we didn't have uh, too much mid-band available to all the players in the same time. And other markets globally, they had some advantage on that side. Let's not mention any large country. 
that the government will not like us to mention. But so they had the access to more MIDI band for 5G than us and faster. So then it becomes uh, the Timo Sprint merge. And then they, uh, Timo suddenly gets on their lap this amazing 2.5 where they can run uh, channels in 5G and R of 100 megahertz. Okay, with 100 megahertz of 5G NR on 64 by 64 radios, you can get a lot, okay? So then uh, it comes the CBRS and we took the decision to start using that for LT before we, we open that for, for 5G. Uh, we started to see some carrier aggregations of two, three, four carriers delivering a lot of good experience to the users. And now we have, we are going to come with the C-band. So I'm one of the guys that is bullish on, uh, on, on what we should expect from C-band. I think, I mean, I have high expectations, okay? But Maybe even then, you... even then, I'm, I'm curious, Sasha, you had a reaction there. Do you want to get that quick? And then I want to, I want to take this in a slightly different direction. Yeah, I just wanted to say um, it still isn't fiber. Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> so That's um, true. That's I don't true. think anyone here is going to disagree with that. Um, <laughs> You know, but but can we touch on that? Because you know, I would be curious because of, of you know, and maybe it's too soon because I think Sasha, you said you had an article coming out about it. But is it give a teaser? Is, is your LTE home service at least usable? Okay, so I am in the middle of testing T-Mobile's five G home service, uh, mm -hmm. which is the one that you have the flyer for, mm -hmm. um, and uh, that is their new sixty dollar a month, uh, no equipment rental cost, uh, home internet service. And yeah, is it usable? Absolutely. Is yeah, it fiber? Just, Absolutely not. No, it's not. But at the same time, let me just be clear. And like, I've been, I've been very charitable and I feel like of all the people that are perceived as being super pro fiber boot boosters, I am more pro doxis than most of them. <laughs> You're, we've been, Sasha, you've been on here for 45 minutes, 15 minutes pre-show, 30 minutes of the show. Mm -hmm. And in that time, I can tell you watching your connection, you are in a connection that is far better than anything I have seen in the many people I've talked to for the past two years that are on Charter Spectrum. And I'm talking about Los Angeles. I'm not talking about like some rural community in Ohio. I'm talking about like premier Los Angeles Charter Spectrum Zoom calls regularly, just artifacts, problems, like hiccups. You have been, I, I wouldn't have known you weren't on fiber, frankly, from what I'm seeing from you. So to me, that, that says, yeah, like depending on who you're on, like I wouldn't trade my Comcast for it, I don't think. But like if I was on Charter Spectrum, I think I might be really tempted. Yeah, and uh, I have a um, I have another journalist friend, uh, Ray at uh, Input, I think is where he is. He just traded uh, his Spectrum connection for T-Mobile and couldn't be happier. Um, but what I have to say about it is that it is still the public wireless network being used by a lot of people, which means there is a much greater fluctuation in terms of performance than you would get with fiber. If you run, um, if you if you request a 300 megabit fiber line, and you run tests every 20 minutes on that, as I did, you will generally get between 290 and 310 megabits uh, on every one of those tests for days and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks. Now on this connection, I get you know I, I can get a median of you know between 150 and 200 megabits a second. It's great. Sometimes it's 30. Sometimes it's 350. So uh, to, to, to that point, um, 
I think that Sasha mentioned something very important. He's using a network, a wireless network that is being shared with mobile users. Yes. Okay. So what happens is that on a network where you have mobile users and fixed wireless users uh, sharing the same uh, sector, you may have fluctuation of the service because of the natural mobility of users. Okay. I, I just would like to park that because when we are talking about it, networks that are being built using similar spectrum, using CBRS, okay, but designed, dedicated for fixed wireless, where the, where the CPEs are high gain CPEs, probably Sasha is using one of those indoor CPEs, right, Sasha? Can you show the, the router that you have there? Uh, I would not be able to show you the router yeah. without disconnecting but, this call. But, but this is what I'm saying, is that, <laughs> is that, is that indoor unity? So then, Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those little Nokia trash cans. Perfect. So then park it there. So then uh, when we are, what we are talking is that when we go to the fixed wireless networks, what they have, like you're mentioning, Chris, is a high gain antenna that goes on the rooftop that the end users cannot touch. They will not be able to move that to, to mess up. And from the perspective of the guy that is doing the RF optimization, they know exactly where those guys are every day, and they don't come with more users on right. that sector. So the, fix, the dedicated fixed wireless networks are more predictable in terms of the quality of service than what Sasha is experiencing today. And okay. I would say that T-Mobile, <laughs> I would say that T-Mobile, even in the shared network context, I'm excited for what's coming over the next couple of years because of 5G release 16 and network slicing. Yeah. That once yeah. that on this shared network, once as 5G release 16 uh, rolls out, which is over the next year, T-Mobile is going to be able to use this network slicing capability to reserve bandwidth for its fixed users and even to reserve bandwidth for each individual fixed user in a way that it can't with the current non-standalone mixed network scenario. So in my understanding then that what we have right now is basically like you have 10 users, they each get an equal amount. You got 20 users, each get an equal amount. But in the future, you'll be able to more intelligently say, you know, for uh, the fixed context, we're going to reserve larger slices and you're not going to have the same slice for everyone, exactly. uh, which will then allow you to to basically those mobile users won't be won't be inefficient because you don't need such big slices for someone who's driving by in a car. And yep. you'll be able to much more efficiently prioritize the fixed users over the mobile users yeah. when uh, the when the network gets congested. Yes. All right, Travis, they're coming for you. <laughs> you see all the games you have to play. You know, you have a finite amount of spectrum. You've got a finite angle. You're shooting the signal. You've got to put the antenna up on the roof and hope to God you don't get a lot of trees. No, we're gonna, I'm not Travis, great. we're going to come back and talk to you at the end of the summer about how your, how your crews are doing as you get closer to the Mississippi River and you're doing that boring. You know, the, the amount of boulders we're running into in the ground are unbelievable. Yes. No, I will give you that. During the, you know, the beauty of wireless is it's, it's quick and easy to put up. It's the ongoing issue. And then, you know, be the user. And I'm really interested in Sasha's experience because my experience being an LTE user is it's tough. You know, when you're trying to stream TV and you're trying to stream Netflix and it's on a busy tower and you're getting derated and, you know, you're watching at uh, you're watching YouTube, at you know, a little postage stamp 
quality. It, you know, it's, it's tough. And, and your average user won't understand millimeter wave, C-band, all these different technologies. They just want to hit play and it works. Well, that's why, that's why these ISPs have to be really smart about who they sell this service to. In the mm -hmm. case of, uh, you know, in the case of me on this connection, you know, I've got N41. I've mm -hmm. got that, um, I think it's 80 megahertz actually. No, I, I think actually it, when I checked on my phone in my neighborhood, it was 60 the last I checked. It might be up to 80 now yep. of mid-band 5G, which is dramatically underutilized because most people still have 4G phones. So it's not at all like your LTE experience. It's not at all even like the rural LTE experience. It's it's fresh greenfield airwaves. Sure. Well, that's and why... they just need to make sure to be selling it to the right people and not to the people who are going to end up getting those juttery postage stamps because there isn't yeah. enough bandwidth. Let, but, me, you know, let me ask you about that. You know, if you're a WISP, I would be actually very worried about this. If I'm a WISP who's not evolving into going the fiber direction, th this could be real competition for you. So, yeah. So, so Sorry, that, Vico, let me hold on a second because yep. I, I want to like, I want to make a point of this. Like, this is one of the key questions I wanted to have. And Vico, I think I want you to respond to it first. And so you can say whatever you're going to say. Um, and then answer my question after I ask it, classic um, talking heads activity. Um, so in a rational world, I feel like, you know, you were saying, Sasha, in 2018, we got these ridiculous tests, people are getting their hopes up. As far as I can tell, the only reason the wireless companies really did it, the mobile wireless companies did it, was because they wanted to get regulatory favors and get billions of dollars and, and basically also try to harm their competition like Travis. Um, in a rational world, would even people even know about 5G yet? I feel like it would all be happening behind the scenes more or less. And and people wouldn't even really be noticing that it was happening. It would be something that engineers would be paying attention to. But like the fact that my mom knows what 5G is or hears about it is probably not like what the way we want to be. Is so, Vico supposed to answer that first? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll give to Vico first. Yeah. So I think that, uh, first of all, I would, I, I would start by the end. I think that... The fact that a lot of the uh, a lot of people is knowing about 5G now and was not talking about LTE or 4G during that time is something similar to all the other phenomenons that we are seeing on our generation related to the power of the social media. Okay, so I think that uh, it's a new topic and uh, similar to uh, other new topics that are coming on, uh, you are going to have supporters and you are going to have a critics on that okay and uh, the combination of that in creates this influx of information and we needed to create a lot of education i mean how many times you believe that i needed to go and to explain to my neighbors that the 5g that they see on their phone today is not millimeter wave is exactly mm -hmm. the same spectrum that they are using for many years on lg 3g 2g networks okay uh, I, that, that, that's like a part of the process of explaining. And it's the, 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 the volume of the communication happened because of the social media phenomenon, okay? That's the first thing that I would like to say. Now, uh, I would say that you are mentioning that, oh, the big companies guys would be driving the 5G brand to get uh, public funds. I, I don't know about too many of those guys that he actually bidded for Kathy or Ardoff. Okay. So no, no, it's about the it's about permitting, rights of way, and generally oh, oh, okay. overrunning that, that, local and, authority. And that from from that perspective, from that perspective, Chris, I will say that uh, 
we the I had the experience and of of doing permits for a big company. And there is no difference if you are a small service provider or a large company, the the, the timing that it takes, those permits and the, the bureaucracy. And this is, I'm not talking only about wireless. I mean, in the fiber industry is the same, okay? I mean, get, but you, know the, the, you know the level of bureaucracy to cross uh, a railroad or to cross a state, uh, a, a, an interstate with fiber. It's huge. So the problem we had in the wireless industry was that we were planning for network deployments and it was taking like two years to get the permit to put a new tower. Okay, so that was part of the process of the of the, the large companies lobby towards the government was, guys, if we would like to speed up our wireless infrastructure, we do need to have the support from the government to accelerate some of the bureaucracy that we have today in place. Okay, now, mm -hmm. the, does the population receive it that well? Some of the population they were they they just saw that as oh my gosh the big guys are trying to bring this new cancer five uh, G tower to my neighborhood and and mm -hmm. and then you needed to go over all this education that it's not like that we are just trying to bring another alternative for wireless communication closer to you it may be even the same spectrum that you have today may not be millimeter wave so uh, I I I I think that I that. I, I just disagree with you that those guys, they were looking for uh, the, the public money. I don't think that yeah. that was the case. Yeah, but I think, I think uh, from, from my perspective in the wireless industry, there were a couple of other phenomena at work. Okay. And mm -hmm. um, now, first of all, would we be hearing about 5G now? Yes. There's a significant amount of 5G build out now. We would definitely be hearing about 5G now. The question is, why were we hearing about 5G in mid-2019 when there was almost none of it? And that's when the crazy overpromising was occurring. And there were a couple of things happening at the time. And these are all tangentially relevant, but they're relevant to why we ended up hearing so much about 5G. One of them is that uh, T-Mobile has been taking a lot of share from Verizon and especially AT&T and that churn is happening in the industry. Verizon's entire brand is on network quality. That's how it gets people to pay premium prices. Mm -hmm. And so Verizon needed, <laughs> Verizon needed a network brand and a marketing move that put it back into the forefront to tell people don't churn to T-Mobile for prices, even though T-Mobile is now perfectly good in the cities. Verizon is still ahead. Verizon is still number one on network. Verizon is 5G. <laughs> and so that was one of the things happening in 2019. Another thing happened, and then of course, one of them does it, the other ones also have to do it, et cetera, et cetera. That's how we ended up having HSPA 14 described as 4G and one of the most obscene things that a marketing department ever did, but that takes me back to 2011. In any case, the other thing's happening. Um, 2018, 2019, uh, phone handsets were getting extremely boring and phone, uh, uh, phone renewal cycles were starting to get very long. They've been, uh, phones have been getting more expensive. Uh, the replacement cycles have been getting to over three years. The entire phone industry needs, needed and needs a way to sell new devices 
um, especially uh, as of last year, Apple. Uh, all of the analysts were saying that Apple needed a super cycle. I hate that. But what they basically meant was that too many people were holding onto too many old iPhones because they're too good and they do exactly what people need to do and they didn't feel the need to buy a new iPhone. Okay. Well, without another major technological shift, which we don't have, what became the driver of people buying a ton of new iPhones? 5G. And so the need of the, uh, the, need of the network providers to uh, stop churn or create churn, and also to drive up ARPU by convincing people to get more expensive unlimited plans because of a perceived new network that would make the plan more valuable and therefore potentially more expensive, drive up that ARPU, and the need of the handset providers to sell new handsets when there wasn't a lot else going on in terms of new technologies. All of that was the storm that created all of this 5G noise from the second half of 2019 through the first half of 2020 when it was way too early for the networks. That makes a lot of sense. It makes, it does, does, I agree. Um, one of the things that I actually just, as you were saying that you just reminded me of was when I've seen some of this hype, I've seen people talking about how, oh, you need 5G for this thing. You need 5G for that thing. And I'm curious, is there anything that 5G brings to the table that you cannot accomplish with an intelligent fiber to the premise and in, in, in Wi-Fi 6 installation? Like, I mean, before, and I'll, I'll say this in a way that Travis will like it, before Ajit Pai, <laughs> Travis's favorite person on earth, dramatically expanded um, the spectrum that was unlicensed and available for Wi-Fi, it did look like 5G was going to, I think, have this extra capacity and all this stuff. But now it looks to me like Wi-Fi can do everything um, from my lay perspective. And so are there things that you can get from 5G you can't basically replicate with fiber and Wi-Fi 6? I would I say... <laughs> what? Let's go to Sasha first. Mobility, Sasha. <laughs> okay. So, so, so yeah. So Vika says mobility. He's right. But also... I would say like you're, you're in a plant, though. You're in like a manufacturing facility or like, you know, like a, a, an apartment building, things like that. I would hand it back to I would actually hand it back to you, Vico, by saying a lot of that industrial slicing stuff. Yeah. That hasn't been implemented yet, but it's probably going to be implemented next year in terms of having uh, having internal industrial 5G builds be able to have very different slices with different sensitivity in terms of quality of service and different, uh, different uh, minimum performance standards on various KPIs. The 5G spec allows a lot more flexibility of management of that than Wi-Fi does, as far as I know. Yeah, so I, I, I will pick on that point. First of all, you are giving a very limited scope, Chris, because you are saying you have a fiber on a limited coverage of Wi-Fi 6, okay? So based on that, I'm going to close, I mean, I'm going to limit the answer, assuming that you don't need mobility. Because if right. you need mobility, you cannot use yeah. fiber and Wi-Fi. Okay, you're you in need... a factory. Yeah. Right. So if you are locked inside of a factory, then you need to choose. Okay. Uh, am I going to pass fiber to all the machinery that I have? Okay. Or am I going to distribute fiber to um, uh, like dozens of um, Wi-Fi six hotspots, and then from that point, I'm going to have the mobility of the machinery inside of the four plant. Okay, so that's that, that's probably the, the, the best situation. The first thing that I would say is that uh, previous generations of Wi-Fi, they had a couple of problems that were very limiting. Like they had 
more security issues than mm -hmm. the air interfaces of the 3GPP spec. Uh, I hope that Wi-Fi 6 now it's uh, coming on pair in terms of the security layer of the air interface. The other problem that we had in the past with the previous generation of Wi-Fi was um, worse type of um, access control. So you could actually overload uh, an access point much easier than what we do today on 3GPP. 3GPP manages to control the accessibility much better and you avoid the overload in the access of the access point. The other thing is that depending on your choice of the spectrum between 3GPP and, and the 3GPP are putting LTE and 5G and the Wi-Fi spectrum, you can have uh, a, a smaller footprint of the access points, okay? So if you are doing access points on Wi-Fi 6 on 5 gigahertz or evolving to 6 gigahertz, you will need more uh, access points than if you decide to do that with the 3.5 on CBRS, peer, okay? You need more, I mean, that's physics. Now, the other thing that you can get with a network on 3.5, either 5G or uh, Wi-Fi or 5G or LTE, uh, probably now it's more 5G that I will say is what uh, Sasha was mentioning. You can have these slices. So then uh, you can actually separate different types of machinery and you can, pro you can prioritize. You may have one specific type of machinery that it actually has a camera. So then you need to prioritize the uplink of that specific type of device. Then you have a sensor that is super low latency and requires a lot of reliability. You put that on a different slice. You don't need to use the same slice of the camera. So you started to separate your devices and use the cases according to what each of those devices needs. And that gives more flexibility. Now, uh, am I going to do all those private networks deployments uh, on 3GPP and am I going to forget about the Wi-Fi? Probably not because Wi-Fi has a lot of penetrations in terms of legacy devices. So I would like to have a way where you, the users can come with the existing legacy Wi-Fi device and still use the network. Okay, so then I may use the private 5G network for dedicated use cases that it has a high return. Okay, and one of the best examples is the, the, the mining industry. Okay, a lot of mining industry is moving for private LTE and private 5G because there is a huge payback. Okay, mm -hmm. so we may find more of those specific ones. And uh, going back to how we started everything. Yeah, as an end user, I'm still not completely happy with the 5G use case. I would like to see more. And I will go back to Sasha's point. If I'm in, if I needed to recycle my device, I'm now with a with with a, a OnePlus uh, McLaren, right? If I need to recycle this device, I'm going to wait until I see something that triggers me to to change again. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the, one of the big problems right now, and I did a column about this last week, is that there are no compelling 5G consumer use cases at the moment. There's a lot of uh, people describing future uses. Um, there's a really fun graphic from Ericsson that I put in my column with all these colored bubbles of all the different future uses of 5G. Um, but none of them are quite happening yet. 
Yeah, is self-driving cars still one of them? Because that was their big one. No, it should not be. Or they dumped that one. I think that was I think that was always a, a, a big mistake to put self-driven cars as 5D use case. First of oh, it's all, just, it's just a joke. I was just kidding. Oh, no, no, no. Cool. But, but, it, no, but I mean, it's worth it, talking it, about. Qualcomm it, still it, wants that to happen hard. It, it, Qualcomm it, really it, wants so, that. So let me, yeah, but let me explain. I would like that it to happen as well as an additional feature of the autonomy. So I don't like it to have the autonomous car as a mandatory by having a connection because Problems in the connectivity can happen even on the, on the fiber, and you don't like it to, to be reliable on the right. connectivity to take a, 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 a decision that may put life is at risk. Okay, so you do need to have the self-driven cars with enough autonomy on board of the car. Okay, and then what you do is that you're going to use 5G uh, or even LTE or even Wi-Fi, but preferably like a high throughput 5G in order to upload the data of your car uh, as soon as you have an opportunity to do, because then what happens is that you are going to have this edge um, platforms that will be running together with those self-driven cars and will send information back to the car that can help the car to, to take even better decisions. So the car should be mm -hmm. able to know that a person cannot be Roll it over. Now, uh, the car can be improved by knowing, oh, by the way, that person that is in front of you is needing help now. So you better stop the car and get the person to help. This type of information needs to come from the network. So I, I believe on augmented autonomy, okay? That's, that, that's how, how I see the 5G help in the self-driven cars. And the consumer, the consumer application that everybody in the industry is waiting for for 5G, um, just to jump off what you last said, is augmented. It's augmented reality. Augmented and reality, perfect. That is what everybody's waiting for. It's augmented reality glasses that are worn outdoors to provide information about the world around you. Yep. And those are unfortunately also waiting for displays and materials and battery issues. And there's just multiple variables about why that application hasn't yet taken off or, or been really ready to market, but that is that is supposed to be the application yeah. that makes 5G take off. But like I like to tell people though, the thing is though, with every one of these Gs, what we in the industry have predicted would make it take off was never the thing that did with, <laughs> with okay. So if you remember 2G, okay, when, when, when networks went digital, Everybody was like, especially Sprint was like, oh, the pin drop, it's going to be the crystal clear voice. <laughs> but of course it was SMS. And then 3G, if you remember like 2002, 2003, when like Hutchinson and like three were all about, they were all about video calling. They were all like, you're going to do video calling from your like weird eggplant shaped phone. And that <laughs> was totally not it. It was mobile web. And then 4G was all through like 2007 to 2009, it was all laptop cards and it turned out to be Instagram. So we're all saying like augmented reality, but like, honestly, who knows? Well, what do we think it's going to be? A surprise. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, Sasha gave it's, Sasha gave like a, a, a good direction, right? So augmented reality in general can be a candidate trap. So think that the car windshield is a type of screen that could be easily augmented if we had the connectivity to that screen, 
Okay. Uh, he gave you the example of the I'm glass. mostly seeing this as a minus right now. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like, like if he gave you the example of the glasses, but I'm not sure everyone will, 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 will start to wear glasses now because of the augmentation. But maybe, yes. I mean, maybe, maybe the augmentation becomes such like a, a, a compelling reason for you that, hey, now you are not going to buy glasses because you need to augment your vision, but actually because you would like to augment your uh, your vision by adding information to, to your life, right? So I mean, historically, it would be for adult content. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. Okay, so the product I want, the product that I want, the product that sells 5G to me, especially as I get older, is all I want is in my glasses a function that whenever I see someone who I have met before, it floats their name over oh, their head. The name. Oh, the oh, oh, but their children's name, their spouse's name. Exactly. Like, yeah. I yeah, just want like- The reason link... I have a Facebook account. Yeah, I want like a LinkedIn card <laughs> that appears next to anyone who I've previously that, met. That's right? perfect. I like it that yeah. <laughs> Travis, like it I wanna then. I want to ask about Open RAN before we run out of time. Um, is there anything you want to ask about Travis? Well, I, I thought your question on fiber Wi-Fi was interesting. I think the um, I think the answer is like a lot of these things. It depends, right? You know, if you're looking at people's homes and their home use, I I don't think there'll be much competition from the wireless industry. But yeah, when you're in large buildings and factories and automation, like a hospital, now I have a better sense of that. Like, okay, but yeah, I can see why well, well, you would want well, that in well, the hospital. Part, a piece of the hospital, you know, right. the, the hospital infrastructure components. Yeah, hundred percent. The users that are coming in, you know, I like Sasha's thing. I mean, my phone, I have no intention of upgrading it effectively ever because it does what I need it to do. There has to be a new killer application. Wi-Fi is built in. Everybody knows how to use it. So I, I think it, it's what I'm finding out. This is very interesting. This conversation is what is the next killer app that promotes this next wave of wireless technology? Oh my God. That, that, that's actually a very interesting question, and. I'm, it isn't, I think, maybe what what we think it's going to be. So, hmm, opportunity. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I, I'm with Sasha on that. Like for every generation, we receive the same question, right? What's the killer app? What's the killer app? I, and yeah, I'm I'm getting old, and maybe I'm getting tired of that. Now going back to, to the to the hospital, that is a good another good example of a private networks that are going towards um 3gpp and i will explain the reason um they again will not replace the wi-fi like travis was mentioning the end user will still use what um, in most of the cases the wi-fi inside of mm -hmm. the hospital now there is a need for assets tracking inside of the hospital and when i say assets it can be human assets and non-human assets and it, that, those type of assets, in most of the cases, they are not being well-tracked inside of a Wi-Fi network. Uh, there are some areas inside of the hospital that requires better RF management. So there are areas inside of the hospital that you cannot propagate. So, uh, and you don't have a good way to control that on uh, the, the existing Wi-Fi antennas today. So probably, uh, the 3GPP antennas are more expensive and they allow us to give him a better way to control which room we are going to propagate signal, which rooms we are not going to propagate. Uh, but most of the requests that comes to me 
uh, from hospitals is actually, for my surprise, human asset tracking to know where you have the nurses, where is that, uh, mm -hmm. that specific expert. So by tracking those type of as assets, you can actually accelerate the timing that that type of asset can go to a specific situation where, where, where it's needed. And like Sasha was mentioning, you can argument that by saying, guys, we need you in that specific room. And by the way, the best way for you to get there is to go in the escalator or to go in that elevator. So these so type now, of things are becoming common. There's a spec, uh, there's part of, once again, the release 16 spec which involves centimeter level indoor positioning. Yeah. And- um, People who aren't fans of the metric system, that's very small. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so a properly configured release 16 5G network, and that is these private networks with the slicing that we're talking about for the industrial networks, can also have as an optional feature, the ability to know down to the half inch where everything on the network is. And then you get to, what he was saying just now about being able to track the locations of all of your doctors and nurses and your syringes and your medicine and mm -hmm. your uh, your your equipment that you're rolling from room to room and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in a way that you can't quite do with yeah. Wi-Fi. And, so and one of the, the one of the go ahead, is it quick? No, yeah, it's quick. <laughs> so what he was saying is that this type of triangularization, and you can think about it that as well in the future uh, for connective type of products inside of the house as well. So as an evolution of that, when you can increase the precision of the indoor location, you may have the other use cases. The industrial application is clear and it will pay for that. But inside the home as well, we may have that type of application, okay? One of the killer apps that we may see come out is this, that uh, we're seeing a tile and Apple, the tracking things. Uh, mm -hmm. I had a personal experience with this. Um, I can tell you that um, going swimming with a Bluetooth watch, it's a bad RF environment in the lake. And uh, I don't think the tracker is going to work at the bottom of the lake where my watch is, unfortunately. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't I think any of the frequencies are low enough. I don't think you have any frequency for that. <laughs> you probably um, need, Chris, you need a Chris. sonar. What's the moral of the story of this whole conversation? Better watch bands. <laughs> I, I think I think the moral of the story is that um, people at home are still going to want fiber for quite some time, at least. And that a lot of the excitement that people should be feeling or should be interested in around 5G in the short term is around these industrial applications and around these enterprise applications. And that uh, while this T-Mobile home internet that I'm using for instance is good and it's a competitor that um, it's gonna fill in the gaps in fiber build outs. This isn't, mm -hmm. there's, there's no fiber killer coming. Right, I think one of the things I would say, first of all, um, we have a commenter that says a mobile gaming will be the killer app. And I totally believe that's possible, but I've been mobile, saying mobile that for what? six or seven years. Gaming, Pokemon yeah. Go, oh, which oh, okay. we all thought that was going to change everything. And maybe maybe will be someone who grew up playing Pokemon Go that will maybe, come up yeah. with a new way of, of dealing you, with the gaming. You know I the think gaming of, is huge. But, but gaming is pretty low low bandwidth, low consumption, right? Yeah, but it's you might very, want it to be very high latency. But it's very latency sensitive, though. So that 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 could be. But let me let me so I want to um, 
um, the question that the point that Sasha was just making, I think um, this question of fiber killer or not, like, I feel like I want to live in a future where we have lots of overlapping networks. And one of the things I've really liked about wireless is not sort of this issue of like, I like fiber, so therefore I must hate wireless, but more that like, we want to have um, not so much if you're selling the services, Travis, but like from a perspective of a user, it's really great to have overlapping networks. And I like seeing wireless get better and better because even if it's not a replacement for fiber, which I don't, I don't care if it was a replacement or not, like it's just, as it gets better, I think we'll benefit in many ways. Uh, and so that's the way, the way I tend to look at it um, with this is that it's, it's going to be better. The internet is not something that is meant to be delivered by one platform that is like the best platform. It is something that is meant to be, um, you know, splintered across a lot of different technologies. And I, I hope that we're able to keep it that way. Like, like think of a chair. Okay, this just came into my head. I'm not entirely sure if this metaphor is going to work. Okay, think of a think of a rattan chair, where um, it's made of like the seat is made of a weave, and the weave is really strong, and the weave is what supports you, but the weave has spaces in it, and it can be a little uncomfortable on you, and that weave is fiber, and then a 5G network in the city is like a cushion on top of the chair. And it fills in the spaces in the weave. Mm -hmm. It makes it more comfortable. It makes the chair better. But if you didn't have the rattan on the chair, the cushion would sag. It would be a bad <laughs> sitting experience. You need both of them. And, and uh, no, that, I mean, I, I, that's, a, that's a point that I always make. And I, that, that's where we don't have any disagreement between me and Chris is that you need fiber. Okay, to build wireless network on top of that. Okay, that, you don't like your wireless access that can go to the edge of your fiber to be limited by artificial bottlenecks of a bad backhaul. Okay, uh, and just forget about it. Uh, the the wispies that that Travis was mentioned. Forget about that. Even with the Wi-Fi, you don't like your Wi-Fi connection now being bottlenecked by your backhaul, okay? So uh, the, 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 the hybrid approach is what is being very, what's being very common by the WISP guys. So the WISP guys that are going uh, to build the fiber now, because they have this history of learning how to use the wireless as well, they are being very smart on putting uh, the, the, their wireless architecture or their wireless network to fill the gaps of their fiber footprints. Okay, mm -hmm. what 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 is the problem is that is some, unfortunately, I will say to, to 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 you, Travis and Chris. Unfortunately, some of the fiber only guys they don't know how to use wireless, and then they fear the unknown, and because of that, they keep uh, they keep using the same hammer to all the, the different nails. So, uh, and that's where I would like to help. I would like to help to close those gap of understanding. And if we can actually learn how to use the different tools, you may find revenue opportunities for both of them, okay? Mm -hmm. I think we're gonna be closing it down in a second. Any, any final comments or anything? I just would like if I have opportunity to connect it to the open run, Chris. 
Yeah. Um, I was wondering if we should do that another time. I um, ordinarily I'm happy to me. run long. That's and, fine for me. Um, I'm afraid that it's more than a three-minute conversation. It is. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> so we're going to save open ran for a future conversation because I'm I'm interested in anything with the word open in it. So for people who are trying to figure out how to get on the show. Even the open fiber, we should talk about that as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any any closing comments, Sasha? Um, well, uh, my bosses would be very sad if I did not plug my work towards the end of the show. So I will say, please sign up for my newsletter. It's called Sasha Segan's Race to 5G. Um, you can find it by searching for PC Mag newsletters. Uh, check the box. And uh, every week I deliver a column about what's happening in the world of 5G. And then, of course, some opinions on what I think are the top 5G stories of the week. And also Sasha's a, um, and all of these, well, not Travis, the Sasha and Vico are both really good follows on Twitter. I always enjoy when Sasha's going back and forth with Mike Dano from Light Reading about uh, some, I always learn something from that. Mike would be a great person to bring on about Open RAN, actually. I think oh, okay. he knows a lot about Open RAN. Well, then I don't want to have him on here. I like <laughs> kind of people that are too knowledgeable. That's just destroying the branding of the show. <laughs> Travis? Uh, I think the moral, uh, the the issue, thing I'm most interested in, go North Dakota. That's all I got to say. So I think that needs to be a whole show on, on ourselves. Uh, you know, that's about as rural as it gets. But, you know, I, I appreciate these guys coming on. You know, honestly, 5G is not my expertise. So it, um, you know, we've deployed a lot of wireless throughout the cities and it's, it's been, it's been challenging. You know, the, uh, you know, as Vico said, wireless or fiber backhaul to wireless removes a lot of challenges. Um, so I, I wholeheartedly agree with you there and, and I'm with you, you know, as far as if we can get better connectivity, I'm not sure it necessarily solves the digital divide, which is what, you know, Chris, I know you champion a lot, but it, it's at least another option that's out there. So mm -hmm. I appreciate you guys coming on. I enjoyed, I enjoyed listening to the conversation. And like I said, 14 G, is that the one I'm worried about or 19 G? You said 19 G. 19G is the real fiber killer. Yeah. So I, it's going to come faster than you think because I think they'll skip 13G because of the superstition. <laughs> yeah. It'll go from like what Windows 3 to Windows 10 <laughs> overnight or something. So uh, Teddy Roosevelt National Park, Western North Dakota. It's beautiful. Check it out. Um, also, people who are savvy. Um, uh, North Dakota did all this before the oil boom, uh, which I feel like sometimes people are like, oh, well, of course, they have so much money there, but it was all before the oil boom. Let me, um, let me, plug, well, let me plug one other thing real quick. About North the, Dakota? Because uh, I don't. there can't be anything else. No, since our last conversation, the uh, procurement of infrastructure pieces for building networks has gotten exponentially worse. So if you are thinking of building or deploying anything in the 2022 season, you better be putting POs in today or there will be not be a 2022 season for you. So yeah, do not delay. Do not wow. delay at all. Good, good point, man. Travis, yeah. you're, you're spot on. You're right. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's unbelievable. It's what's unbelievable. The shortage. And, and now we are not competing uh, among vendors. We are competing with different countries. Like countries oh. are disputing the same value chain the same supply chain so it's it's being unbelievable first, yeah first time in 25 years vendors are saying uh we will not take any more orders they don't, oh. just nothing yeah. yeah so anyways i'm just saying uh there may be a delay in building networks across the country as uh you have no legos to build them so <laughs> buy your legos today if you can at least order them 
Um, well, we're gonna, we might not be back until after July 4th, uh, Independence Day, depending on uh, what happens. I want to do a Doxis for kind of future of cable discussion, but we're not sure how to line it up. And I'm going to be doing a little bit of traveling here. We're doing a uh, pretty cool, uh, a, a, a tribal wireless boot camp to help develop some capacity in tribal lands to build 2.5 gigahertz networks with the licenses they've got. So that's going to keep me uh, busy helping out there and doing some documentation of it. It would be really, it would be interesting to have the guys back on and really dive into CBRS. We kind of touched on it a little bit here, but mm -hmm. um, I don't know if people are appreciating the, uh, that, the private LTE CBRS networks that people can no, that's up. actually CBRS that's a is a whole vortex. Yeah. yeah, yeah the other world. question we didn't get into is what is the future of private LTE? Like not just like what is CBRS oh. like today, but what is CBRS like exactly. in two years on the, the on the is it going to be super crowded and congested? Or you know, are we gonna see more space for it? Uh, I, I'm really interested in that too. Yeah, so. so I think I think this topic people would be interested in, you know, Wi-Fi 6E, CBRS, you know, things that the average you don't need to be a um you know, an LTE expert to roll out mm -hmm. that you can actually roll out for your company or your business or, you know, whatever, <laughs> kind of on your own. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't forget that the Qualcomm is, uh, is, is pushing hard to bring NRU. So uh, in, the same, in the same spectrum of your Wi-Fi, in the future, you may be able to, to, to build your 5G with an licensed spectrum. So this sure. is something that, you, I mean, we know how powerful is Qualcomm. So they may they may come out with that in the with a strong ecosystem so you will not be only cbrs so, i mean we may have other spectrums that can be used to to build the private networks yeah and i think that you know the six gigahertz spectrum the 1200 yep. megahertz that that's opened up there you know there's a lot of possibilities in there for a lot of people to utilize so it'll be really for interesting sure. to see how that evolves so i think well, a lot well, of people are interested in how they can build their own networks not just be off the, the cell providers networks <laughs> I'm just waiting to see if Travis is going to let me talk. <laughs> oh, sorry. Because, no, sorry. you know, that happens all the time where I don't get to speak enough. <laughs> you usually have chicken wings in your mouth. So that's my opportunity to, to, to bully, you know, the conversation. It, you know, that doesn't stop me from talking. Um, I really appreciate uh, Vico. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for the hard questions on Twitter. We'll keep going back and forth uh, on those. And uh, um, Sasha, really appreciate you coming back on another one of my shows. Uh, it's always fun to, to talk, dig into your expertise. Um, Travis, um, looking forward to, to getting some wings soon. And uh, we, right? Right. we may be back on the air before that or not. We'll see. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll keep the social medias updated. And until then, uh, this has been another fun episode of connect this.